Okay, welcome to Brooklyn's Members TV and Podcasts. I'm Steve Clark, and I'm joined today by the author and motorsport journalist, Sam Smith. Sam, welcome. It's good to have you with us today. Absolute pleasure, Steve. Looking forward to having a chat with you today about all things Formula E. Yeah, now we're here to talk about your fascinating new book, Formula E, Racing for the Future, published by Evro. But before we discuss the book, Sam, your background... Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've, I've worked in racing, actually, for 30, just over 30 years. I started very young when I was 14 as a work experience lad for a, wow. a Formula 3000 team uh, back in the days of Damon Hill and Alan McNish and, and that sort of crowd in Formula 3000. Uh, so, yeah, from then on, I've worked for Lola Cars, which I worked for for a decade as their communications manager. Um, I've always sort of freelanced as a, as a journalist, as well as doing the PR and marketing stuff as well. But uh, since leaving Lola, when Lola ceased to operate in 2012, I formed my own business, which is kind of part PR, part um, journalism. And I've worked for Autosport, uh, motorsport.com, magazines like Race Car Engineering, and also Motorsport Actual in Germany. And I've also been the press conference host for World Endurance Championship races um, and various other things and followed Formula E since the start as a mm. as a freelancer and now work for the hyphen race.com which is a, a relatively new media so yeah that's that's most of what I've done I've also looked after a few drivers and worked with drivers as well uh, doing PR and, and various other duties so um, yeah nothing if not varied uh, Steve. Yeah indeed did you have any engineering background or did um did you just kind of pitch in at the deep end on some of these things? No, Mike, those who know me would laugh at any suggestion that I am an engineer or of, uh, know, know anything about it. T- to be honest, I, um, I, you know, I p- picked up the basics working for, for Lola, of course, and, and working for a few teams. You know, I know what a seven post rig is. I, you know, I, I generally know what, what, how suspension works and how powertrains or engines function and, and gearboxes and so forth. But, you know, certainly not to the level of a lot of my colleagues and friends in the industry. Um, however, for this book in particular, I had to dig deep and, and obviously understand a lot of the interesting technology involved in all mm. electric powertrains which was fascinating particularly mm. uh, the battery side of things as well so yeah i mean uh, you know going back to my work experience days um no the mechanics in their own in their own way made sure that they knew that i knew i didn't know much about uh, the technical side of racing. kept you well out of the way yeah good so um a fairly typical question sam why the book how did it all start yeah, well, I mean, there's there's nothing of its kind, really. You know, Formula E is relatively new. It was formed in 2014. That was when its first season was. So it's less than a decade old, and it's grown very quickly. Lots of manufacturers have come into the championship, and there's been a surge in interest in all-electric uh, motorsport, I think, certainly in the last decade or so. So I really wanted to chronicle the, I guess, the political, the sporting, the technical uh, machinations of this really interesting championship it's quite divisive as well you know I'm quite aware that a lot of people um don't give electric motorsport much of a mm. much of a chance or much uh, much kudos but but you know in in a way racing is racing if you've got quick yeah. cars and you've got interesting cars then mm. i think there's a story to tell and, and certainly formula e starting from the ground up as a true startup championship 
uh, and getting full FIA World Championship status within the first seven years of its existence, seven seasons of its existence. There's a fascinating story to tell. So I wanted to make sure that it was um, that it catered for new and old. And I don't mean that age wise. I mean that in people coming to motorsport um, fairly fresh in, in the last few years and following Formula E because there, there are plenty of them. But also I wanted to get across the context that, you know, this is like any other race championship in the sense that it is a, a single seater championship yes it looks very different the hardware looks very different and it and it goes very differently but ultimately it is a top-notch championship extremely competitive and one which manufacturers are, are very attracted to so mm. there's a whole range you know when when you look at the book it's broken down into into various sort of stages but ultimately what i wanted to get was a a really strong narrative through the book as well as some of the technical um, evidencing of, of what these engineers and what these drivers do and go through to, to be competitive. Yeah. Um, you rightly said the, the books are in different sections, and I have to say I found each and every one of them pretty compelling reading. Majority of the time I had no idea of some of the complex and some of the political background, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. But how did you go about compiling the book in the first place? Yeah, so yeah, I, I had actually written a couple of books, but a long time ago, and they were more like season review books, so fairly simple in terms of the format. For something like this, which is so rich in the context of how it, how and why it came about, and then how it was sustained, how it nearly died, because it nearly did, which is, we'll come on to, which is a fascinating mm -hmm. part of the story, the Formula E story. What I really wanted to get across was, and, and, and actually how to purport it, was that they this started from absolutely zero. You know, there was nothing. There was no precedent for, yes, electric cars have been, have been around for a long, long time, but not in uh, a concentrated, organised series. And what I wanted to get across was how, it, how and why it was born, which was essentially the meeting of a couple of minds, which was uh, President Jean Todd, uh, mm -hmm. President of the FIA, and Alejandro Agag, who was this fascinating political stroke sports promoter uh, stroke entrepreneur who, who was a very charismatic guy who got the thing off the ground um, but then you know when you read the book you'll get an understanding of that there was a lot of naysayers and there was a lot of doubters and you know I, I was one of them initially I think getting something like this internationally off the ground is not the work of a moment and many have failed you know I think a lot of people remember A1GP and Super Formula and the like. Absolutely. I mean, the thing for me, Sam, is that when you think of the, the, the longitude, if that's the right word, of Formula One worldwide and how it's progressed over umpteen years, and yet this is four or five years old and it's already so well established in terms of how it's structured. Yeah. Incredible rise, really. It is. And, you know, some of that is by design and some of it is by happy accident. I mean, mm. when you look at when it took off in terms of when it crossed over into into really the manufacturer's consciousness when they got attracted to it and they came in and brought you know let's let's not um beat around the bush they bring in a lot of money, money the championship sure. because they're, they're marketing their technology to their future consumers so i think it was around 2016 2017 and when i mentioned happy accidents it, you know it wasn't happy for the manufacturers involved but we had the dieselgate scandal which yeah. obviously scuppered 
a lot of or fair few manufacturers plans in motorsport and the automotive industry obviously and there had to be a change even if it was just what people call marketing or or perception and that fell into formula e's hands quite nicely and they capitalized and mercedes audi and porsche all came into the championship yeah. and bmw yeah. also they all came into the championship so you had this quartet of german giants coming into the championship which already <laughs> had uh, jaguar which has got a very strong as we know great heritage in racing dating back to the d types and so forth in at le mans so you had a nice mix of manufacturers you had new startup manufacturers like ones that many people haven't heard of like neo which yeah. is a chinese uh, ev uh, manufacturer very ambitious and wanting to evidence its technology and its capabilities through Formula E but what had to be running through the middle of this as a foundation was one that had to have stability and a strong roadmap it's a strong technical roadmap and initially Formula E was going to be a completely open championship but I think a gag and his advisors realized that that just wasn't feasible in the first year or the first couple of years but what they did is in the second season which was 2015 2016 they opened up the powertrain cluster so the manufacturers and the teams could um, form their own gearbox their own inverters their own um, motor old motors you could have a dual motor in those days and they could have that as a running R&D um, right. with the spec battery and the spec <clears throat> battery. And, and once that developed and evolved, their manufacturers became more interested because they wanted to uh, they wanted to put their own brand and stamp on their technology, on their all-electric technology. So there's a deep fascination there. They needed that strong foundation. that They got it with the FIA, who had some very clever minds working in their alternative energies uh, division which is run by a guy called professor burkhard gershel who used to work for bmw right. and various other big manufacturers and oems so it was it was a nice structure but of course in motorsport what we know is when you get man or traditionally when you get manufacturers together competing you what they often eat themselves whole don't they you know we've seen it in uh, group C days, we've seen it in ITC, we've seen it in Formula One, in, in World Endurance Championship, and that had to be covered off. And they've got a strict roadmap. They're going to have cost capping, which is going to come in, uh, which was, I think, was needed even pre-pandemic days. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there is a very tight structure to Formula E, which I think has contributed to it sort of thriving and surviving as it, as it has done these years. Mm. If we just go back, I say the early days, um, it's kind of strange to think like that, but um, just talk us through the concept of how it came apart very briefly and then the first couple of seasons uh, of what was learned and how it progressed. Well, what was great for me as an author for this story was that there's a romantic version of this. And, you know, I'm, I'm no Mills and Boone author, Steve, but it's not, not that romantic. It's uh, <laughs> The romantic version is, is that Jean Todd and Alejandro Agag were in a restaurant in Paris uh, having a dinner and talking about future um, possibilities in motorsport. And uh, Jean Todd mentioned that he really wanted to have an all-electric single-seater championship, an international championship. And Agag's is pricked up at this and they jotted some points some basic points on a napkin in yeah. the restaurant yeah. this napkin was then um 
kept in the restaurant and framed and put on the wall. And it was almost an urban legend whether this thing actually existed. But I, you know, being a been an inquisitive sort, I went to this restaurant um, in Paris and found it and photographed yeah. it, which is in the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's been embellished a bit, you know, this this yeah. sort of fairy tale thing. Well, but that's it, you know, that's the way it goes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly helped the legend of Formulary. Yeah. Yeah. Um which is great. But actually, in reality, what happened is this was always going to happen. And Todd had thought about it quite carefully. And I think in a gag, he knew he had the perfect promoter and the perfect person to take this on. And a gag been a serial entrepreneur who'd been involved in politics, his name is yeah. and also in Queen's Park Rangers Football Club. Uh, with Briatori, Flavio Briatori and, and Bernie Eccleston a few years before, wanted a new challenge. And boy, was this a challenge, you know, yeah. starting up an entire yeah. new international yeah. motorsport championship. As I said before, not an easy thing to do, but they did it. Uh, and from that point on in 2011, 12 and 13 was building it and, and building the team and the infrastructure, the hardware. Obviously, they needed investment and they got that through a, a Spanish businessman called um, Enrique Banuelos, who invested in it initially, um, uh, and then the, the 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 championship was was ready to go in uh, September twenty fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you say managing uh, motorsport, I'm not sure uh, it's any more difficult than trying to manage QPR. But uh... <laughs> well, you can't get relegated in uh, in motorsport. No, well, there is that to it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, you've said earlier on that uh, obviously the two early seasons started the development off and the two cars and now the single car um that's obviously added a whole new dimension to the uh, to the sport itself it, it was a key milestone it absolutely was and um you know some of the manufacturers went on record saying that they they wouldn't come into formula e until the uh, the a single car could evidence that it could finish a race and, and bmw were one of the leading um proponents of that train of thought and, and quite rightly because as we know with electric vehicles that you know the key the key um i suppose worry of consumers is is anxiety rates it's whether they can yeah. get to their destination and when you look at the first four seasons of formula e they use two cars each driver used two cars they come in hop out and get another car now they made a bit of a competitive element of this obviously you know it's almost like a mini sort of sprint and look you know they used to do something not dissimilar at Le Mans, didn't they, when they started the race sprinting over the track into the car. and, and yeah, yeah, so yeah. That element was, I think, the, once the novelty factor wore off from that, um, it started to get a little bit um, tired. And it was, you know, it was, it was evident they had to go to this Generation 2 car, which would have better, uh, more usable energy, and that they would be able to get, you know, a decent race range out mm -hmm. of them, which is... Mm -hmm what we have now which is the 45 minute plus one lap um race which is kind of the average for a an international single seater yeah. uh championship these days and obviously that the, the manufacturers bought into that because it was relevant for what they were going to be uh designing and selling in their in their showrooms too so yeah an absolutely key part of formulary's growth uh, the way it's grown up was that transition from Gen 1 to Gen 2, quicker mm. cars, and obviously able to do much more mileage. Mm. Um, I had the uh, good fortune to interview Sam Bird. Um, clearly a lot of questions, although there was no activity in Formula E at the time because of the pandemic. The conversation was 
compare and contrast from his earlier career as a F1 test driver and uh, Le Mans and various other things. But really, when you look at it, and I think you mentioned this in the book, that really um, Formula E saved his career. Indeed. Yeah. And he's not the only one. Um, you know, Sam's a really fascinating character. I mean, A, a he's a tremendous race driver. B, he's a terrific guy, as I'm yeah. sure you found, Steve, when you had him on your show. Um, yeah, Sam's an interesting one, but he is, he is part of this generation who was unable to get a chance in Formula One, certainly good enough to yeah. do a great job in Formula One, but just never got the chance and was very close to quitting racing altogether. You know, he did a season in sports cars in, I think, 2013 and didn't especially enjoy it or no. have much success. And he was on the cusp of becoming a, a personal trainer and yeah. didn't have any money and was down in the dumps. And then he got this offer from Virgin Racing to come yeah. into Formula E and he... He ran with it, you know, he became an instant success. He's still the only driver to have won a race in every season, in each season. of the seven seasons. Mm. Um, you know, and he's um, he's had a bit of a dip recently, but he had a great start to this year when he joined Jaguar because he'd done yeah. all the previous seasons and races with the Virgin team, Envision Virgin team. And yeah, Sam, I think, is a really good example of a driver who was able to resurrect a professional career on the back of a future relevant series like Formula E, because mm. there's no way that he could have gone back again to GP2 <clears throat> or to uh, another single seater uh, championship. It was either sports cars or it was Formula E. I mean, in Sam's case, he did terrifically well in both because he he went on to drive for the AF Corsa Ferrari team at Le Mans yeah, yeah. Uh, in the WEC as well. So mm. he's got a nice uh, he's got a nice extension to his career out of it, but you know, fully deserved because yeah, I mean, I, 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 I said to him, you know, how quickly can you switch between uh, driving a Ferrari at Le Mans and uh, Formula E? He said one lap, and I'm back <laughs> in the zone. So uh, yeah, um, they, they I, tend I, to... I actually first met him. He drove a. Uh, 30s, TS 15, 14 and 15, at uh, the Rob Walker centenary when he drove down Dorking High Street, making okay. as much noise and as loud as he possibly could. And when he stopped, I said to him, you couldn't wipe the smile off your face. So, uh, uh, yeah. but a lovely guy anyway. Well, it, there's a lot more about Sam in the book that uh, that comes through. Now, you, you also said, and you know, this is this is true about electric vehicles in general. I mean, I'm going through the process of buying one at the moment. Um, and of course, everyone you speak to either completely blackballs you or says, you know, you're mad or something and such like. And the first thing that everyone says, well, you won't be able to drive far. Yeah, OK, that's, you know, fair comment. But it, Formula E itself has had some quite a few critics, hasn't it? Yeah, as I said at the start, um, Steve, it's... It does have its critics. It has its uh, skeptics, and you know I think it's it's kind of natural in a way when you get such new technology. And um, I, the thing, though, having said that, the thing that amazes me sometimes is you know fellow colleagues in the media or people I just know in and around the industry sort of poo-poo it quite instantly without actually giving mm. it a chance or going to a race or you know. Uh, going to the trouble of, of watching and understanding what it's about. I think it is different. It, it could be described as an acquired taste. 
there are things that are very different. So obvious, the obvious one being yeah, there is very little noise. Mm. But I always say to people, well, you know, I remember being a kid at Brands Hatch in the 1980s going to watch turbo cars around Brands, which was a hell of an experience if you ever saw those things, yeah. uh, driven by Senna or Mansell or Prost, often described as the halcyon days of racing. But, you know, what I remember about that era too is that just the sort of very faint, popping and slight yeah. buzzing of the mm. of the of the wastegates and yeah. you know th- there wasn't a tremendous amount of noise but i don't remember anyone really going on it about it then you know no. you had this fabulous period afterwards of the atmo cars which were terrifically noisy you know v10s v12s yeah and look you know i mm. i love a v12 matra or i love a a sound of a you know a, a judd v10 or a, a lola t70 as, as much as anybody but to me, what I love about racing is the variety. You know, I, mm. I love one weekend watching a, a WEC race or a an F1 race or watching a you know a historic meeting. But yeah, I sure. also think that I also think that racing is always about not always, but it should a part, large part of it should be about the future. And you know, if we start looking back all the time, we we just become you know. It's, there's not really much uh, no, progressiveness, is there? But, and it's not a healthy place to be, I don't No, but I also think there is some fear as well about if you admit to yourself that this could be some part of the future. I think people are a little bit, uh, they steer away from it because, one, they don't want to understand it or they don't want to accept that there's something out there that's alternative. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. I'm, I'm not sure. I You know, like I said, I went to the first race and uh, I, I sat in the grandstand for free practice and I thought it was a bit rudimentary. It was kind of national level setup. I thought, mm. well, what am I doing here? This isn't the, the cars, frankly, were slow. I mean, the Jane one cars were not even on the pace of a sort of Formula Renault. They were they were pretty slow. Right. Yeah. But of but of course, when you spoke to the drivers and you took the trouble to speak to the engineers and the teams and you saw the potential and you realised actually, you know, when you get drivers like Sam Bird or you get drivers like Lucas Degrassi or mm-hmm. Andre Lotter is a very good example. You know, Lotter has won three Le Mans. He's done everything there is to do in in racing apart from F1, although he did have that one start for for Caterham, that cameo. But mm-hmm. he is the professional's professional, hard as nails racer, loves his historic racing, loves his, he's got an Audi Quattro Group B rally car and, you know, loves all that sort of thing what you call a sort of, you know, meat and veg racer. And he's told me after three races in Formula E, this was the hardest championship he'd ever, really, he's ever been. been involved in. Wow. Not not just purely the racing, but what he had to do in the cockpit. You know, mm. these guys are racing, don't forget, on street tracks. Yes, they're not going as quick as F1 or, or as uh, sports cars, but they're going quick enough. And they have so much information to... Uh, take in and then to digest and then to relay they're relaying energy figures back to their engineer and often they're doing it in crypto so they they've got crypto codes so that other people don't listen in and realize don't, don't understand what's going on yeah, yeah. it's fascinating just um jumping back to the uh, the the book sam did you find it easy well easy is not the word but did you find it fairly straightforward to get so much detail and i have to say the book is just packed with detail um yeah it was was a challenge yeah these these things are i mean they're they're complicated the cars are so technically they're complicated in the sense that you have a lot of software okay which is like a like a bit of a 
dark art. I suppose it's the equivalent of aerodynamics in Formula One. Mm. What you've got to realise with Formula E is, although the car looks a little bit otherworldly, a little bit different, it's kind of half single-seater, half prototype in its Gen 2 car. You know, actually, it's reasonably simple. A lot of it is the bodywork, and there is very little aerodynamics in the traditional sense. You know, it's very little downforce on these cars, and there doesn't need to be. It just needs to be reasonably efficient. The real efficiency and the real interest technically comes from the powertrain, and it comes from the battery. And the spec battery is produced, uh, sorry, provided by two companies, um, produced by a company called Ativa, which is based in San Francisco. Um, And the actual management and the supply of the batteries and the maintenance of the batteries is by McLaren, Mm -hmm. McLaren Applied, which is a part, obviously, of the McLaren group. Um, And that is a spec unit. Um, Now, obviously, these batteries are pretty heavy. So, you know, you have a car which is um, a, a good 250 kilos, probably more, I think, heavier than an F1 car. So you've got heavier cars with less downforce, but the challenge in racing these cars for a driver is in the efficiency of how they drive the cars, the, the thermal efficiency, as well as how they use the software in the cars. Uh, the brake-by-wire systems they have on the cars, which are, which are pretty complex to, not complex in their design, but complex in how they use them. Yeah. And they have to re- regenerate the energy as well. So the drivers have got a hell of a lot to do in the car, all in 45 minutes, all with 23 other cars, you know, going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you know, you, you've got things like the attack mode where you've got to take two attack modes. Well, you can take more, it's up to the FIA. They don't get those attack mode uh, details on how many applications or activations they're going to use until an hour before the race. So, you know, formulating a strategy is not easy in Formula E. And, you know, you only get a certain amount of usable energy that you have to use. Uh, And as we've seen, well, we saw on one occasion in Valencia, if a mistake is made, uh, not a mistake, but a miscalculation by a race control, let's say, you could end up with, you know, a third of the grid not making it to the flag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) which is... Not really what you want, is it? No, it's not. Uh, So what about the the future, Sam, Twenty. 2022 and beyond how do you see things progressing yeah very interesting so i think there's i mean in a sense technologically especially with the battery um the world's their oyster really in terms of what is possible i think they've got to balance it with what i mentioned before which is this um very structured roadmap technological roadmap which they have to keep in check for the health of the championship and they've got to make sure that the manufacturers don't come in and just throw a load of money in it and it becomes a massive arms race because that's how how championships die you know and you've got to keep it relevant to the people who are interested in the racing and the consumers who are going to be buying all electric cars in the future so i think the battery is the is the component which is going to be the real interesting one if they free that up so manufacturers can develop that i, I kind of hope they don't for a, a while because again that could release all kinds of mayhem mm. into the, the budgetary um the budgetary uh what you know what they've got to spend in it essentially the manufacturers i think the racing will be good the gen 3 car will will be seen probably later this year and we'll start testing next year 
and will come on stream for the 22-23 season. Yeah. That will run for four seasons. Uh, and then, you you know, it, it will go up and up. Eventually, the, the all-electric cars, will because they'll get lighter and because they'll get more powerful, will get closer and closer to F1 pace. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a good, you know, Monaco this year, they ran on the same circuit and there was, you know, there was a good... There was a good 26, 27 seconds between them. Mm. That's, a, that's a lot over a, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. a two and a half mile circuit. Mm. But I think the key thing for Formula E is going to be where they're going to race because they're bringing the racing to the city centre tracks at the moment. You know, a good, a good 75% of Formula E races in any given calendar is on a street track. Now, that may have to change because the quicker the cars get, the bigger the safety question becomes yeah. because... You know, racing, as we've seen in some IndyCar races and, and in Formula One, you know, if two cars touch that are single-seaters, uh, you know, they need room to, to yeah. dissipate the energy and there's all those safety questions. What I can see happening is more and more circuits coming in, potentially like the Accelerina one, which is going to host the return of the London E-Prix at the end of July. And that is going to be a part racing in an arena and part outside. Side. And the same with Seoul uh, in uh, in South Korea is going to race in and around the 1988 uh, Olympic Stadium. Mm, yeah. And in Cape Town, they've got a football stadium where they're going to do the same. And of course, those perimeter roads and the more freedom of that area rather <laughs> than a, a genuine city centre street track means that there's less disruption to the city centre, its traffic and its inhabitants. So it's a real balancing act mm. how they do it. I think a calendar mixed with some of those races and some of the other, maybe one or two permanent tracks is the perfect kind of calendar. But, you know, the next calendar is going to be announced on the 9th of July after the FIA World Motorsport Council um, right. session. So we'll, we'll see what it entails. But for sure, okay. there's going to be new races in Vancouver and, and Cape Town. And, and the London Epre, I think, has got a, a nice, secure, secure future okay. at XL. So lots to look forward to. Can you see any other manufacturers coming into it, Sam? Yes, I can. Yeah, I, you know, Formula E often say to me, oh, we've got a subs bench full of three or four manufacturers, you know, able to replace those that leave. And, and manufacturers always will leave, you know. Yeah, sure. I don't think Formula E should take it personally that Audi and BMW have left. They've done it for, for their own reasons. Yeah, um, yeah. And the strength in depth of how many Formula E have in terms of the manufacturers is healthy and will be for for years to come new manufacturers yes formulary as i said they say they've got quite a few i'm not sure that's completely um true i think there's possibly two or three that could come in um i mean i did a story today in fact about a little known manufacturer but one that's coming up and an all electric manufacturer called lucid motors which is actually the same company i mentioned before ativa who did the batteries who right. are looking to come in for for season 10 in, in a few years time you know, there's been murmurings and mentions of Hyundai, of Alfa Romeo potentially, uh, and you know that the big ones such as GM or Honda or um, who else um, could we look at? Honda, GM, potentially are two big ones that could come in in the future. And you know, all their automotive and all their corporate messaging they're putting out is all about all electric vehicles. Yeah. Their projections show that that's what people are going to be driving in yeah. you know, 10 to 15 years' time, if not sooner. Sooner, yeah. I have to say that uh, finally, Sam, I found the technology part of the book absolutely fascinating because there are areas that I had no idea 
and where the innovation has gone, I thought was particularly uh, well documented in the book. And if anyone's got any passing interest in knowing what's packed into those cars, it makes just a fascinating read. Um, I think the other thing for me, and now I understand more about what sits underneath these cars and uh, how they're designed, makes the racing a whole lot more enjoyable. Um, and you talking about the fact these guys are computing stuff every moment of their race and relaying that back, um, I find yeah. uh, absolutely incredible. It is, it is. And, um, you know, the more, actually, I think Formula E is quite rewarding in the sense that the more you get into it, the more you understand and the more mm. you kind of uh, interact with it. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the New York Epre is on the, um, I think it's the uh, 12th, 13th of um, of July. And I'm going oh, yeah. over there for that. Uh, you know, w- what I'd say to people who, who haven't seen Formula E, or, you know, I've got a slight prejudice towards it, which I fully understand is, mm. Give it, give it a chance. Uh, yeah. What it, um, embrace it for what it is. You know, it's, it's not, it's not Le Mans. It's not Formula. No, e. no, good. It, it, it is Formula E. Yeah, it's, it's a you new know. entity. But you know, for instance, if you, you can, you can download an app on your phone, which gives you instant access to the driver radio. Right. right? So, in race, you can listen to any radio in mm-hmm. Formula E. And obviously, you can only listen to one at a time. But if you dip in and out of it, you know, if you, for instance, a great example was uh, last time out in Puebla, uh, the last Ypres a couple of weeks ago, Pascal Verlein, ex of uh, Sauber Formula One Parish and, and uh, DTM, of course, DTM champion. He's driving for Porsche. He's working, he's racing for the Works Porsche team. And he won the race, but got disqualified for a, um, a, a contentious uh, technical infraction and was notified as he crossed the chequered flag that he had not won the race. Now, not a great look for the championship, I don't think, you know, that, that no. somebody can be disqualified immediately afterwards. But on the other hand, if I wasn't a journalist and if I wasn't imbued in Formula E, I, would, I could be listening to that, an immediate reaction to, a, you know, an emotional reaction, as you can imagine, from a driver who just had the wind taken yeah, away from, away from it. it. Wow. And it's just drama, you know, it's yeah. something that... I think new generations and new people coming to the race would think, oh, wow, that's amazing. The guy's just been through this emotional roller coaster. I'm listening to him being told this. Uh, so there are things like that. But like I said to you, Steve, at the end of the day, it is a race like Everything like another race. Yeah. There, there, is a, there is a standing start. There is a checkered flag. The, yes, there are innovation mm-hmm. things going on in the race. Ultimately, it's who's going to get to the checkered flag racing because they race they race hard there's a lot of contact in this championship but also you know efficiency who has got who can tame their usable energy and use it the best over a 45 minute period and i think that's that's amazing you know people again sorry to hark back to the turbo days but i love i loved formula one in those days it was my childhood and you know one of the people who'd mastered turbos the best and was rewarded with it for countless Grand Prix victories and championships, but wasn't acknowledged as one of the most spectacular racers. That was the professor was Alain Prost. Mm-hmm. And he is quite rightly held up as one of the greatest racing drivers yeah. that's ever lived. Um, but of course, the, the, the ones who took the headlines were your Senna's and your PK's and your, your Mansell's for, for various, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, showbiz things that went on, yeah. which was great as well. But, you know that always exists in racing you know Le Mans you've got to pace yourself you've got to manage certain things 
Formula E, you have to manage your energy. And it's every bit as, in my mind, it's every bit as skillful as going wheel to wheel with, sure. with somebody else around the yeah. corner, uh, which also happens as well. So, yeah. I, you know, the detractors, I understand it, but, but you know, give it a chance. See what you think, because, um, you know, I know, I know friends of mine who have not traditionally enjoyed motorsport, but they will gladly now give up the... Give it a uh, go. Give it a go and, and watch for the five minutes. Well, yeah. Sam, the book is absolutely fascinating. I highly recommend it to anyone who has a passing interest in Formula E and also if they're fascinated by it, it makes equally good reading. So congratulations on a fantastic book. I hope it does well for you. Um, what's next? Another book or are you just carrying on your day job? Well, thanks. Thanks for nice words there, uh, Stephen. Glad you enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was great to write, and um, yeah, it's been well received. Yeah, so uh, you know, I'm covering Formula E this season. We've got New York, uh, London, and uh, Berlin um, double headers. So six races left, which takes us to August. I also work in the the World Endurance Championship, uh, so I'll be at Le Mans and the the rounds there. Um, so yeah, more more racing, but. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a job. I never call this a job. <laughs> yeah, some some fools pay me for doing this, and I uh, gladly take it. But I, you know, I do it, I do it long, for the bit, so nice to share it with you. <laughs> long may it continue, and hope uh, you'll come back and see us again um, and report a bit later in the season on how the uh, Formula E has gone. Sam Smith, thank you so much for time, and good luck with the future book. Anyway, thank take you. Care. Thank you very thank much you. indeed.